start starting by starting is is a is a good approach and a good strategy you know don't worry about stumbling just keep going you have tuned in to pod sam the podcast channel of sam magazine the voice of the mountain resort industry on this episode we're bringing you a huddle from our sister publication adventure park insider staffing is hard and for many of us we often fall into the any warm body category but there are ways to combat that. On this episode, we explore some of the steps operators can take to draw strong applicant pools and cultivate a culture that potential staff will want to be a part of. We'll start the conversation here with Sam and Adventure Park Insider publisher, Olivia Rowan. So COVID-19, as we know, has infected many things in our lives. And this um, year, this year, so um, what we're going to discuss today is one of those ways that it has an impact on us and that's with uh, recruiting. So we're gonna talk a little bit about the change in the hiring needs of companies, the change in the ways that we recruit and the changes in the job market. We'll share new practices that they're already being, that they're already putting into place that reflect the new normal that we have been accelerated into after the events of the past year. And our experts today will share how these changes go beyond the pandemic. They will offer suggestions and guidelines to attract the broadest and best pool of applicants and how to retain them with some new thinking. Yep. So we're, we're really excited to be uh, bringing this conversation to all of you guys today on trends in hiring and staffing. You know, we all know staffing was an issue even before the COVID-19 pandemic and something that you know, we've all struggled with uh, as we start each season. So today our panel is going to be speaking to um, changes that can make a huge impact in how we go about staffing up for the season, and we'll be introducing them as we go. So we're going to start our conversation with Paul Townler. Uh, Paul is the founder of High Peaks Group, a workplace consultancy group helping organizations with company culture. And Paul has also written many articles for Adventure Park Insider and our sister publication, Sam. He's also worked with us on a resiliency boot camp and a mentor program. Um, he's just been a tremendous resource through the pandemic, um, always with excellent insights and advice. So um, we thought we'd start with Paul and talk about company culture um, because um, it's so much easier to draw in talent, as you know, when you have a great workplace. So um, Paul, you know, how has the importance of company culture um, evolved after the year we've just had and and what is its importance um as as things have changed well i think um you know like you said company culture is always a factor in any kind of recruitment so those that have an attractive culture tend to attract either more applicants or higher quality applicants and i think what we're seeing now is that that's even more important now uh since the pandemic has really turned everything upside down, turned, uh, you know, given, uh, you know, certainly employers, a whole new way of looking at their, their staffing uh, models and, and projections and things like that. But also the mindset of the employee has changed quite a bit over the course of the pandemic too. So um, they're, they tend, and you know, this is macro, like sort of in the employment world, uh, macro level, not just in the outdoor industry or the adventure park industry, but employees tend to be, or prospects tend to be much more selective looking at the culture that they're signing up for. Um, they want to be part of organizations that are aligned with their values. They want to see that organizations are um, really committed to something beyond just simply 
profit, for instance, uh, they, that there's a mission or purpose behind the organization that they can get behind too. And, and uh, that the culture that's being presented is actually authentic. So they're, you know, when they do show up for work, it's actually very, uh, you know, what they're experiencing is actually true to what they're reading about, for instance, in job postings and other places. Yeah, and I, I would say um, we all can probably look around us and, and see in our small circles and broadly that um, a lot of people have reset their priorities and, and, um, and have made big job changes. And so we are seeing that trend of them looking a little deeper at the company culture. So um, if a strong company culture is is something that we need to strive for and, and that can be overwhelming where do you where do you start what, what are some things that you can prescribe to folks yeah yeah and I think you know I this is what we do at High Peaks Group all the time is talk to executives about where to start how to get a culture you know uh, creating an intentional culture and you know I always tell folks that you're already doing something and it you know as overwhelming as it might feel you know a lot of things are going right right now and you're probably uh just a, a matter of being a little bit more intentional, a little bit more deliberate about the, the things that you're doing, uh, maybe uh, giving them more voice or being more, um, you know, sharing them more or more deliberately. Uh, because, um, you know, I think, you know, we do this all the time. Like we create a culture, we talk about our culture. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's an important thing to, to highlight um, and, and not think of it as something you have to start from scratch with, but, you know, taking some of those positive elements that you're already, that you already know are important to you and important to prospective employees and just talking about them and being authentic about it. And, um, you did an article for us called unfrozen and, you know, as Lori and, and, and other operators would sort of sit down with their team and think about their, their summer recruitment, um, you had this, you know, a really interesting take on how we are um, unfrozen right now because we've gone through so much change and turmoil, and um, and before we refreeze and set our path forward, you said this is really an important time to take in. And um, will you tell us a little bit about yeah. the importance of this time, even more so given the year we've had? It's an incredible moment, right? So like the while, while as difficult and challenging as the pandemic was, it did give us an opportunity to shed all of the kind of standard ways of doing things and even the standard way of thinking about a lot of the things that we do. So we're in this period of like openness and, and sort of opportunity to really do and try new things, whether it's recruitment or any other aspect of your organization's culture. And but the door is closing. And I think sooner or later, we're going to all either tacitly or intentionally agree on what it's what the what the industry is going to be like. So why not do it intentionally instead of just letting letting it happen organically? So uh, you know, moving forward in some incremental way, you know, uh, to to move to, to take all the learning from the pandemic, the things that really worked, uh, and start incorporating them and making them part of your you know current and permanent culture is, is going to be a really important process for folks. And I think if you do that, prospects and, and other people looking at your organization to work there, work there will, will say, hey, yeah, that's a learning organization that's continuously evolving. I want to be a part of that. Nice. And, and you know, it still comes back to, you know, for all of us, 
taking this all in and the stress of we've just been through so much change and now we've got to lean into more change. Um, and you had this interesting thing of, you know, the, the hundred percent solution as a, <laughs> right. as a way to look at it. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think this is just sort of a little bit of an act of self-compassion. If you're a person responsible for an organization and its culture, you know, our, our instinct as leaders is to, is to try to solve it and solve it all the way. Uh, and with culture, that's a very, very difficult thing to, that's a big apple to eat in one bite. So instead of trying to do your whole culture all in one go uh, and create a hundred percent difference, try 100 1% solutions instead and just keep at it and move methodically in, a, in the direction that you want to go. And I think you'll find some momentum that way. And I think it's a lot easier to think about and more manageable to think about incremental positive change as opposed to, hey, it's Wednesday, let's do culture. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, with this change, um, there's sometimes the fear of losing your good people because they don't, they don't, go along with the change. Um, and what would you say about that? I know there's something called the Planck principle. You mentioned. Yeah. So uh, this idea that, um, you know, when, when you do sort of uh, define your culture and, and, and create it in the way that you think is best for the organization and, and represents your values and the organization's values, part of that is understanding that not everybody's going to be hundred percent on board with that. And that's okay. Uh, being clear will allow people to self-select into a different organization that more that fits their values better. So that's what the Planck principle generally says: is that you're you you know as sad as it may be, um, it's more important to create the culture that you want and lose people than it is to sort of create some weird, convoluted, abstract culture that that just sort of is okay, kind of okay for everybody. Right. So you have to be really, you know, intentional and say, he, these, this is what we stand for. This is who we are. And we would love for people to come on board who really buy in and love that too. Awesome. We're going to jump over to Lori Pangle. Uh, Lori is the owner and operator of Zipzone Outdoor Adventures in Ohio. And on one of our huddles last year, you had shared that you were really struggling with hiring as a result of the pandemic. And I know this year has been a completely different ball of wax for you. I mean, how, how has it been different and what are you doing differently this year in terms of hiring and training? Yeah, thanks. Um, I think it, it's really interesting that um, Paul's talking about being unfrozen because we, that's been sort of the theory since all this happened last year was just pivot and recreate and rethink and nothing set in stone and um, just keep trying to, take the next step forward. So um, last year's staffing issue was sort of paralyzing for our business. And so what we did is we looked at it and said, how can we try to make sure we don't end up here again next year? And if we do have staffing issues, let's create some, put some things in place so that we can just keep rehiring and it doesn't create so much stress on our management team. Because last year we were constantly hiring and constantly training and we were just worn out. Um, so what we did was uh, starting in about August, so we pivoted pretty quickly, we started designing an online training program. And we have eight different courses on our online training program. And I just looked today and we have 87 like units, either videos or course content, we have 87 of them. Um, we have our 
new staff um, orientation online now. Um, so what, what we're doing is we're creating more um, manageable training, more replicatable training, and it's taking some of the pressure off of our management staff so that we can keep hiring and onboarding. Um, and so our onboarding process, maybe it wasn't super intentional, but, but because of what we started doing and making so many things digital, it's created much more of a streamlined process for our onboarding. So what we used to do was we would hire people in February and we'd have them fill out some forms and then we'd touch base again in March. And sometimes people were kind of done, you know, because we're, we're just hiring people and we're, oh, we'll get back to you. But this time it's been more of a constant stream. So they get hired, they get one form, they fill it out, then they get invited to another thing. Then when they fill that out, they get invited to another thing. And then they do the new staff orientation, which is taking people about an hour to an hour and 45 minutes. And they're like in, you know, there's, there's videos and fun stuff. And, um, and now they're, they feel like they're, they work for us. Um, and so I think that that's really helped. And so I was sharing with Sarah before that um, last year we had a training of six and we had zero people show up. Nobody showed up and we had to, pivot and we hired four more and I think we ended up with two that finished the training. It was horrible. So this year for all different reasons. So this year we hired, we hired eight people for our very first um, adventure park monitor level one training. We just had eight people complete the training. Um, we also, we kind of created two different pathways. The other problem we had a lot was conflicts with people who couldn't come during the day, during the week. So we had two different programs. One was for the people who are available during the week and one's for the weekend evening people. So we're finishing, we just finished with eight people that were the evening weekend. And we have two more people going through kind of the weekday hours. So it's the same training we're doing two different times. By the end of the week, starting Saturday, we have 10 new people starting. And so this is just our first round of hiring. So we're really happy with the constant pivoting and sort of preparing for staffing challenges. Paul, when you hear Lori's story, um, what kind of things can you take away of how she's approaching this? Yeah, I mean, I, I, wish, I wish every company would do that. I mean, it's, um, I mean, you also have a really great comparison set from the prior year to this current year. And it'd be interesting to know, you know, the extent to which that, um, I would call that an engagement strategy, you know, constantly staying in touch and um, making those folks feel included right out of the gate, you know, whether they would point to that as a way, as one of the reasons why they decided to stick with it, because they could have probably, you know, looked for another job in the interim time, you know, maybe, you know, they, but they didn't hedge their bets, they decided to stick with it. So I think that engagement strategy is really critical. And my, my hypothesis would be those are going to be, you know, that engagement is going to stay pretty strong throughout the season, because good beginnings lead to good outcomes and good endings as well. So maybe they'll stay a little longer through the season or be a little bit more, uh, you know, delivering a little bit more discretionary effort, subbing in for others when they don't have to or whatever. But I think, um, you know, that kind of early commitment is something that does pay dividends over, over the long term. It's great. And Lori, one follow-up question. Did you, are these all new hires? Did you do anything in particular for bringing back um, repeat hires? Um, we, for, for the folks coming back, we always do a safety day. So that's, we bring people back and have some, you know, kind of a meeting and we provide lunch and we all hang out. Um, and then we do staff audits where we, we do a testing kind of day. Um, we did, we did 
we offered for them, um, they, they all get a, a pay raise. So they all get a 25 cent an hour pay raise. Um, so that, that always helps us bring some people back. Um, but yeah, we, we, that, that's pretty much all we did for the folks coming back. We did offer, there were a couple people who wanted to be cross-trained. Um, somebody asked in the comments, um, we, we actually have a uh, fully guided zipline canopy tour and then also a self-guided adventure park. So we do have kind of two different programs, which can make, make staffing a little bit challenging, um, but it creates opportunities too. So we, we were able to, we have somebody who wants to work you know, pretty much full-time seasonally, but our adventure parks only open weekends. So let's pivot. So we trained this one person who's worked for us for two years to be a zip guide. So now we have another zip guide during the week. So we literally created a new outline we called it one person zip training. So it just, honestly, we started the training like two days after he asked to be cross-trained. So mm -hmm. it's really just make it work. And now we, we can run another tour that we couldn't run on weekdays. Right. And there's a question in here. What software do you use for your online, um, learning management system yeah you know actually we're i'm i'm shocked because we're really happy with it and i did i did a lot of uh research and i can't i ended up on talent lms um and i'm really happy with it uh it, it it's I, I yeah i'm just really happy with it it you can you can change a lot of things like when when we just brought our uh new our, our sorry returning adventure park staff back i realized that they were missing out on some videos i didn't really think about having them go through the, the online training because they already have all that information. So what I did was in about five minutes, I created a new course that was called Returning Adventure Park Staff. And I just cloned all of the lessons that I wanted them to see. And in five minutes, I had a new course. Of course, I invited all of them and nobody watched it. So then I had to text and harass them. But um, yeah, so it, it gave some updates. We have a couple programs that have been confusing to people and so we created some sort of fun videos about it and um and it's you know those who, who have now engaged and watched it have been like oh wow that actually clarified some questions cool. I had. so one one more thing i did want to mention is we um obviously it's it's challenging i've i've been the owner of a pdm company we're really big on in-person training you know i think eight years ago if you would have said can we do a portion of this online i would have argued for days about it um, but what we have done is we, we still, we do the new staff onboarding uh, prior to kind of bringing everybody together. Then we bring everyone together and meet each other and introduce and those kinds of things and do just a mini, mini session. Then they go home and they have two days before we see them again to do an online portion. And then we meet again and we review and do assessments. And so this is for every, for the front, front desk staff, for our cleaning crew, which is some teenagers that we started hiring because they're easier to hire than these fully trained staff. Um, for our zip tour, for everything, it's gonna be new staff orientation and then in-person, online, in-person. Thanks so much, Lori. Um, so we're gonna jump over to our next guest, uh, Courtney Condi. Uh, Courtney is the founder of Occupation Wild, just a, a, a job board for the adventure, outdoor, and travel industries. Um, so Courtney, you and your team at Occupation Wild, you host a lot of seasonal positions, which we all know are kind of the first step into the outdoor industry. 
Um, and we're all really familiar with those really long in-depth job descriptions with all the bullet points of things that you're supposed to know how to do. Um, but you and your team, you spent a lot of time helping employers retool their job descriptions uh, for this kind of new generation of applicants that Lori was just mentioning. Um, in your experience, how has the applicant pool for seasonal positions changed and how, how does it look to, you know, how does this look for groups um, looking for work and how and creating kind of job listings for that? Yeah, so you're correct. We do work a lot with um, helping people strengthen their employer brand because kind of the nature of hiring employees, especially seasonal employees, is really changing, especially with everything being online. We, um, I think the main thing we see too is people are putting a lot of time and effort into attracting new employees and seasonal employees. And one before, and I think in our industry, the kind of general consensus was, you're lucky to work here because it's going to be rad. Now it's like really making sure that you are encouraging people and showing them how amazing it's going to be to take a season with you. And we see like the companies that have the best engagement, like we have companies on our site that easily will average 20,000 unique visits on their page a month. And then we have companies that will maybe get 2000. And that comes down to a lot about how they're selling themselves with imagery job descriptions and videos. And I think that engagement is super important. And then especially like utilizing social media to really like let people know that like you guys are gonna be fun to work at, you're welcoming and kind of also letting people know like, hey, even if we don't employ, like offer employee housing, we can help you or we're here to help you in this process. And we want you guys to come out and work for us. Um, so you had mentioned uh, imagery. Why, why would you say imagery is so important in terms of you know, creating these job listings? Yeah, so we found that imagery is kind of like do or die and can really like make or break like somebody's hiring season. And that's because like everybody has become so visual. People are scrolling on Instagram. People are scrolling on TikTok. And just having like really strong photos can totally change an applicant's perception of a job. And we see this all the time. And it's really like not that hard to get good photos. Like one, we have a lot of people that hire professional photographers to come out for a day and photograph their staff. But if not, just like a great iPhone photos work really well. And we even see this too. Like, so we average around 60 to 100 emails or DMs a day from job seekers sending us applications being like, what do you guys think of this person? Or like, I wanna work here, but like, it looks weird. And when they're saying it looks weird, it's like the imagery isn't good, it's grainy, or they're not seeing any photos of staff, so they can't see themselves in that position. And you know, if you only have photos of guests, they're like, well, am I gonna be doing this or I'm gonna be like working here? So I'm gonna share um, your landing page of um, all your kind of spring and summer seasonal jobs. You know, what stands out to me in all these images, just as you're saying that it's, there's a ton of staff pictures. It's, you know, for a lot of them, it's not even staff actually doing the job. It's engaging, like hanging with one another. So what is it about these photos that is really gonna draw applicants in? Yeah, so what we found is people wanna take these jobs and they're, but a lot of times they're nervous. Like this might be their first outdoor job. It might be their first time moving to a new state. And kind of like if we see Camp IHC, they always do super well on our site. Like it looks fun to work there. They're like, oh, I'm gonna like make friends 
or just like beautiful locations where someone's like, wow, I get to work at Liquid Alaska Tours. I get to be in Alaska by a glacier. But um, people are just, yeah, people want to know that they're going to go and be really supported and that they're also going to like make good friends. Like you can kind of see like Raft, California. It looks like a really fun work environment, fun culture. We're sending a bunch of people there this summer. And yeah, people just want to know that they're going to have a fun time, have a great, um, meet great people and really have like an experience of a lifetime. And we find that's like a lot more important than like pay or housing or anything like that or location. Want to see a few examples? Head to the Adventure Park Insider Facebook page and check it out. And then you also mentioned uh, video being a really good way to kind of highlight the the experience that people are going to have in the summer or in any particular Yeah, video. Video does super well, um, even for example, like, we, so we do a lot on social media, as well as just the job board. And for example, we did a video for a client that was hiring on TikTok in like, it was only 14 seconds, but in one day it got 50, over 50,000 views and 7,000 likes. And they hired like, they hired their whole staff from just that one TikTok. So just even like a 14 second video just being like, look how cool this is, look how fun this is. And then in 24 hours, that's sent out to 50,000 people. It's so powerful. And I think it's something that people are really like overlooking. You can check out this video example from Echo Canyon Raft Adventures by visiting adventureparkinsider.com slash huddle. Courtney, as you go through and you're helping employers kind of ID the best ways to market these jobs. What is it um, specifically in this, in that example that really, you know, can draw applicants into any of these seasonal jobs? Yeah, well, I think that video is a great example. Like it doesn't have to be this crazy high impact video of people like running rapids. What people like about that, they're like, wow, I get to go here. Great people. It's going to be fun. I get to work outside. And I think it makes people like feel comfortable and safe that they know where they're going. And that's something like our, I think the employers that do the best in Occupation Wild are the ones that are like, come talk to us. Like, even if you're not sure, we want to chat with you and we want to see if we're going to be a right fit. Um, for example, that company, we are sent, they hired most of their people from us and we get hit up all the time, either if it's on TikTok or Instagram being like, hey, I'm going to Echo Canyon, I'm going to Echo Canyon. And people are so excited to start their summer. And I think that's just like getting people excited to be there because I'm sure everybody on here has a great work environment and great culture. And I think it's just being able to really like express that, whether it's for photos or videos. And even that video you said, you know, that's not that's not like a huge production team. It's shot pretty simply. So it's easy to do. And I think it just makes a lot different, a huge difference in making people feel like excited, comfortable and safe to go work for you guys. So Courtney, just kind of one final thing Um, in our kind of pre-call conversation, you had stressed the really describing the fact that, you know, these operators are willing to train new hires. And I'm sure, you know, Lori does that as part of her whole training and onboarding thing. Um, And I will point out, if you guys go view that whole video from Echo Canyon, they actually have two listings on the same page, one for experienced guides and one for inexperienced guides. Um, How important is it to, you know, make it front and center that training is part of the process oh that is so important like if anyone goes on our page or on our instagram when we list jobs we'll be like echo canyon is hiring guides and then we'll put on something like training is provided and if people know there's training is provided 
the engagement I feel like is through the roof because a lot of people want to take these jobs they're just like I've never done this before and a lot of times employers won't list that they provide training I don't know why but um then people are like well this looks cool but like how do I get to do this and I think it's just like you know we all have to start somewhere and I understand that for some jobs people don't provide training um but if you do definitely list it um because yeah people are looking and people are curious and if they know they can get training it's also a lot easier like if you post with a job board like us or another one for us to market you guys um knowing that that's something you offer awesome so um yeah so not only is the applicant pool changing but um there's also an industry-wide effort to make it more diverse and i'm excited to have rachel haley um, she is a former course manager for Zor Outdoors and in Massachusetts, um, Western Massachusetts, but now she is a DEI consultant focused on the outdoor industry. Um, she's also the author of an ongoing series on diversity in um, Adventure Park Insider. We hope you will check some of those articles out. So, um, Rachel, there's a big effort to create more diversity, equity, and inclusion in, in most industries um, right now. And in the recent outdoor participation survey by the Outdoor Industry Foundation, a key takeaway revealed that new participants are more likely to be female, younger, living in urban areas, and more ethnically diverse um, than existing participants. So um, mm -hmm. we know, you know who's showing up is uh, there's a change and an evolution that was accelerated by the pandemic. But we have been hearing from operators who are refocusing their efforts on how to create a more welcoming environment for their clientele. But where um, should operators start when they want to create more diverse applicant pools? So, um, so you know, and you have some really great insights on on that. Oh well, thanks, Olivia. So I think you know there there's a lot to be said for this, and there are many places to start. I think the the first step in all of this is just choosing to start. Number one, you know, knowing that there is a need in the industry now for this, and um, the second thing is definitely to set up your culture. You know, as Paul spoke to earlier, in a way that makes sense for um, new markets coming in. You know, new if you have a new reach in terms of your your employees and your staff having, you know, the water be right in the fishbowl for them to jump into. So really having that cultural foundation laid, I think is um, super important. Um, there are tons of ways to access new markets. The, the first of which is, you know, you already have some of these folks on your staff, right? So um, essentially going to them and the majority of the clients that I work with are um, partnering with their current staff to do um, like hiring initiatives, recruitment initiatives, so that folks in their own networks are being invited into the party, so to speak. So that's sort of um, an easy and um, quick way to access new markets. Um, and also job boards, Courtney, amazing. Um, so it's a start for sure. When, when you, when you and I talked about just taking that first um, step and there's a, a fear of the misstep, a fear of getting the copy wrong in the job description, the fear of the wrong picture and, and it's holding back taking that step. So how do you advise people and when, you know, are there specifics in what you would recommend in how they approach um, the job descriptions and the, and the outreach? Yeah. So I think this is, this kind of shows up in all DEI work is that as human beings, we have sort of a willingness to, to, or an unwillingness to like, look 
wrong or make the mistake or kind of say something out of place. So the first part of the process really is be willing to, you know, make a mess as you're figuring this out, right. And really be in the work. Um, second to that though, some of the, the other strategies around building your job descriptions, being able to, you know, um, to look at your inclusivity of language for hiring. So as you're writing your descriptions, you know, you want to make sure. And I think one of the top ones that we forget as industry pros a lot is, um, to leave out that industry jargon. A lot of times it can, um, provide a focus on things that aren't necessary as we're looking to cast a broader net with our staffing. Um, you also want to make sure that gender bias language, you know, you can leave that to the side as well, um, including any masculine or feminine words from the posting itself. Um, and looking at all of this, I try and have the job descriptions be as neutral as possible and as accessible as possible. So um, we think about, you know, um, literacy in terms of how long things are and people's engagement. You know, we live in sort of an instant gratification society now. Um, so having short digestible bits in terms of your job descriptions is um, paramount too. Gender binary, it's a, it's a prevalent concept in many societies, right? But humans really are incredibly gender diverse. Um, so looking at your use of pronouns, you know, what it is that you want to create as you're casting the broader net, have it fit, you know, and again, be as neutral as possible. So um, an example of this, if you do offer, you know, any kind of leave, paternity leave, you want to have it be um, parental leave instead of maternity leave, just as an example. Um, if you're unsure about whether or not your job descriptions have any of this gendered language, um, there's an excellent resource called the Gender Decoder you can, that will go through your job posting for you um, and assess that and see, you know, where you are in that process. Uh, you can also have a third party come in and, and um, help write your descriptions and review things for you as well. Uh, again, literacy inclusion, people don't often think about this, um, but in terms of different levels of literacy, you know, being able to keep your sentences and paragraphs short so they're easily digestible for folks, and then also having um, their specific fonts and um, standards by, that we can use to make sure that our postings are accessible. Um, so some of those are listed um, on the WCAG, so the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. Um, that's a great place to start with your marketing team just to make sure that your um, job descriptions, your career pages, um, all of these are accessible for folks in the ways that they need, including, you know, thinking about folks with dyslexia, you know, what fonts they like to see. Um, as, as Paul spoke to earlier, you know, um, and Courtney as well, the authenticity of your imagery um, is like so important, you know, to have real images of your team with permission. Um, it can take away the triviality sometimes our ads give when we use stock photos. So use real images. Um, and above all, you know, when you're branding, right, you want to make sure that um, you're clear in your statements about your DEI efforts. And if you're not on track with that, um, you wanna be open and honest. Um, so an example of, of what not to do, and this is sort of an extreme one um, in terms of job descriptions, but um, you know, men wanted, you know, having it be super gendered language. Um, also it's very occupation driven, you know, it talks uh, more about um, the job description and less about, you know, sort of what's needed. Um, and obviously it has a tone to it that, that can feel a little abrasive. So um, just being aware of that. Um, and the magic really is in how accessible we can have our job descriptions be. Um, and, you know, knowing that there's 
a willingness to work with people, you know, as they're coming in. Um, yeah. You know, you talked about, you and I were talking in a conversation, you said, you, you know, you wanted to learn skiing or, or snowboarding this, yeah. this winter. And you said, you know, something that you would do, you know, for yourself and your family is kind of go look at how, you know, you were trying to take us through, you know, looking to see if it's a place that I would feel welcome or feel like there were other people that look like me. Mm-hmm. And I would assume that's, you know, like you said, in the imagery of your job applications as well, and not just a tokenism thing, which we often see is that tokenism right. image, but right. And so how do you, you know, how do you advise on that? So, I mean, I would say what I, what I did find in that process, um, Olivia was the blog pages had a level of authenticity and sort of like everyday, um, uh, trackability. Like I could see how it was playing out as opposed to the landing page, like what, what the image was on the landing page. So, um, there was sort of a, um, a, like a community experience in blog culture. Um, and also on, you know, stories and social media, being able to see like who actually was on the mountain. Um, and then also, you know, in talking with folks, you know, cause a lot of times I would call and just say, Hey, you know, I'm new and I have a five-year-old and here's what I want to do. Um, having a level, like a, a human connection with another person, um, you know, whether they look like me or not, I don't know on the other end of the phone, but I do know that there were some experiences that I had that were extremely supportive in wanting to, um, essentially bring someone new into the fold and others, maybe not so much, you know, so having that, that human element and a willingness to, um, uh, it's like stewardship, you know, here's, here's what your day will look like. Um, here's what you can expect. And as someone new coming in, you know, here are some things for you to think about, which I thought was really great. And then, you know, Courtney did mention it, but the, the training aspect can't be stressed enough. I think, especially if you're looking to create a more diverse, um, applicant pool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, for, for me, diversity looks a lot of different ways, right? It's not just black and brown communities, which I think a lot of people think of as diversity as like the number one. Um, but it can look just, you know, it can look a lot of ways um, from, you know, sexual orientation to gender identification, all of these things. Right. But I know for me, as I was running the canopy tour at Zor, a lot of times I had folks from black and brown communities coming in seeing, you know, my name is like the base boss, you know, person in charge. And they were like, wait, you, like you, you run this tour, it's you. And, and, and in so much of that, I saw like a recognition of, oh, this could be possible for me. Um, and, you know, a lot of times like Lori, I'm sure, you know, you go out on tours with folks in that last minute, you got to pick up for a guide situation. Um, and I heard that a lot, you know, where, Um, there were youth coming in from, um, city centered lives and seeing me right representative of their community and saying, oh my gosh, you know, how can I do this? Right. And then having the training be such a valuable option for them, knowing that, you know, if they had the personality and if they had the, you know, commitment, um, and motivation, then we were going to train to that skill and they could actually do the work. So it was like game changer for them. Yeah. One follow-up question for you, Rachel, um, you've spoken about the job descriptions and training. And once you kind of have those pieces together, how are you actually, you know, getting the word out about opportunities into diverse communities? Um, When we spoke, you talked a little bit about boots on the ground. Uh, Mm -hmm. Can you share a little bit on that front? 
Yeah, totally. So I, I think of it as sort of a three-part thing, right? You have within your organization, again, there are folks that are really passionate about this work, you know, bringing new folks into the fold. So finding those people, I call them in my mind, I have them as like change agents, you know, they're people that are really about making a difference in our industry. So finding those folks and then, you know, supporting them in a way that makes sense, you know, through um, education and access development, right? So that they can go out and engage with the community. So in essence, develop your people to take the party out to the community, right? And say, um, you know, here's what we offer, here's what we do, be present at um, the, um, the job boards and things like that. And then host community events, both at your organization, which I think a lot of us do really well, you know, saying, um, you know, hey, there's a BIPOC retreat at our challenge course, or there's um, Pride Day on the River, you know, um, looking at hosting events personally, but I think there's there's another part to this that gets missed quite often, which is go to the community, you know, um, ask people what they want and really check in about, um, you know, what they feel like would be an important experience for them to have. So I think that gets missed a lot. Awesome. Thanks so much, Rachel. We're going to jump over to our last guest, uh, Reese Phillips. Um, Reese is the course manager for Sonoma Zipline Adventures and Kind of continuing the theme of boots on the ground that Rachel just mentioned, um, your team actually gets out there uh, to college campuses for a lot of your recruitment strategies um, and, you know, really talking to all the students about what the experience is uh, and working for you for the summer. Can you share a little bit about that program and how you encourage students to spend your, their summers with you? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, for us, College students are our biggest draw when it comes to employees. Um, we do have people in all sorts of different age groups, 18 on up. Uh, but college is by far uh, our biggest draw. And it's because it works with, uh, you know, the zipline industry or challenge course industry. We've already kind of mentioned that a lot of times it's seasonal. Uh, for us, our summers are busier than our winters or our springs. We do run all year round, rain or shine. Um, but our summers, we hire two to three times as many employees. So we really hit the, hit the colleges hard. Um, and we hit them, hit them a couple of different times. Sometimes we hit the same college. Uh, and I know a lot of colleges have job fairs, but um, a lot of times we don't necessarily go to those. When you go to a job fair, uh, you have a lot of competition. Uh, if you can get in contact with the school and just go set up a booth right outside of their cafeteria, uh, one, you have less competition Two, you're getting the students when they're going to eat, you know, um, you can catch them kind of in a different mood, uh, where they're not getting, you know, tons of people one after the other, after the other talking to them. Um, and we, we are a Christian nonprofit. So for us specifically, we're able to go to smaller Christian colleges, which is great. Um, but we also go to bigger ones like Sonoma state and, uh, some other colleges in the area. So, uh, a lot of times that uh, we find it, it's really helpful of when uh, and where and not just who, because um, I know probably everyone here who's who's recruiting uh, at one time or or another has has, uh, you know, searched out for college students or um, that age. Just this is a great work situation for them. I know a lot of times what we're telling students is um, we're just being transparent with what the job is easiest way to sell these jobs is just, Hey, it's fun. <laughs> um, and yes, it's work and it's a different type of work than kind of most jobs, but it's fun. Let them know, like, 
hey, you know, it's it's zip lining with guests or, or you could be going and flipping burgers. And usually the zip lining sounds more fun, uh, especially if any of them have ever done it. Um, and kind of a, another, this goes a little bit off of, of the question, but we use that same tactic with uh, another place we recruit is actually at our business. Um, when our guides have guests on their tour and like, oh, this is really fun. And they see they're kind of in that age range of either leaving high school or in college or they're in between jobs and they might just be looking for a summer gig. Um, they let them know, hey, we're hiring. And, you know, anytime you're talking to people potentially about joining um, your staff, you know, how are you kind of framing that conversation? Are you, you know, talking more about the experience, the job requirements, training? What, what are what are the kind of the key things that people are most interested in talking to you about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, when it comes to telling them about our job, we, we do not require any type of um, necessarily qualifications other than they're 18 or older and they have to meet all the qualifications of our guests, you know, simple, simple site policies like every, every other place. So if we have, you know, the weight limit, age range, that kind of stuff that fits our course. Um, but most of the time, uh, we're, we're telling them, yeah, that um, we do offer the training and the training's required. Ours is pretty intense with 40 hours, but most of the time what we're looking for, uh, and this is kind of hard in this industry, I feel like, is um, it's customer service. And I think that's what people don't always expect. They expect just the guide part of it. Uh, but the way we have always thrived as a business here is our customer service. If you look at our reviews, you're going to find all of the five-star reviews are going to say their guides were so great. They made us feel, you know, they say, we don't like this word in this industry, but they say they made us feel safe. They took care of us. Um, they did what it took. They helped me in this way. You know, we, it might be someone that uh, maybe they were missing a limb or something. We we're able to figure out how we could accommodate that or they came and they forgot their wallet in the car, but they still wanted a photo, um, something like that. And, and maybe we, we said, hey, you know, don't worry about it. We got your photo, uh, whatever it took, but it's customer service. So that's kind of the big thing I like to, I do look for when recruiting and let them know of like, hey, this is a customer service job, um, but it is a very fun customer service job. And it's a little bit different because you're going to have, we have up to eight people on each tour. So you're going to have eight different people come into you, maybe three different tours a day. Every day is different, keeps the job interesting. It's always new. So even though you're doing the same thing each day, uh, it still changes and can get more exciting. Higher for personality, less for skill. Um, Absolutely. Thanks so much, Reese. Um, I think we're, we're getting close to the uh, top of our hour. So I think, Paul, you've got a few key takeaways that you're going to share with us. Yeah, great, great conversation. And, you know, I think just uh, as listening to this conversation, I think we all, you know, learned a lot. The pandemic has certainly forced everyone to adapt. And, and there's really an opportunity to take some of those learnings that that everybody's uh, learned about and, and, and make them permanent. And it's really just a matter of being, you know, having the courage and confidence to make them permanent in, in, in your organization going forward. And just a, a quick, you know, the, the idea that what I, the pattern I saw was like words create worlds, right? So the, the way you present your organization, the way you present yourself, whether it's in recruiting, onboarding, uh, you know, day-to-day -day operations, things like that, 
the words you use do sort of help create and do create the culture of your of your organization. So being thoughtful, intentional, and transparent certainly pays off. You know how you onboard and recruit and how you include folks, all of which you do intentionally, really does make a big difference. And I would say, um, you know, that's uh, the the start starting by starting is is a is a good approach and a good strategy. You know, don't worry about stumbling; just keep going. Paul is right. We have to start somewhere. So take a look at your job descriptions, take a look at the imagery you're using, and think about how you're keeping new hires engaged throughout the onboarding process. And you don't only want to focus on engaging new hires. Make sure your team has all the resources they need at their fingertips. Get them a subscription to Sam Magazine or Adventure Park Insider Magazine. Check it out at saminfo.com slash subscribe and adventureparkinsider.com slash subscribe. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. The Pod Sam Advisor is Alex Kaufman, the Winter Mix Podcast Guy. I am Sarah Bordeaux, and thank you for listening to Pod Sam.